Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills. I'm the lead pastor at Chandler Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And uh, I just want to say again, I'm so thankful that you are listening in uh, and being a support to this this ministry, this this podcast. And I just can't thank you enough for for being on the other side, guys, just for uh, being able to be a part of this and be able to, to speak to you as we do life together and go on this venture together. Uh, today we are starting a brand new series, as promised. Um, it is called The Good Work, and I want to speak to you. Uh, if you are the best of the best, the brightest in your class, the star athlete, the leader of all things, okay, I want you to know something. In spite of that, God can still use you, all right? I promise he can. It's just that our God specializes in using very ordinary, everyday people, all right? So this message uh, series is for those of you who believe deep down that you were created for something more, that you were born for a purpose, right? Created by God to do something eternal, something that matters, something that lasts, okay? So over the next four weeks, if you are open to what the Spirit of God would say to you, I believe that God will speak very directly to some of you, give you the faith to step out and to do something that outlasts even you, all right? But now, I do want to warn you, when God uses you, it always comes with a personal cost, okay? When you take a step of faith to do something significant, it's very likely that you'll pay a price greater than you can imagine. So I must warn you, you will very likely experience pain, agony, rejection, heartache, failure every now and then, loneliness, doubt, and occasional bouts with discouragement. There are times that you may stand alone, People may laugh at you, misunderstand you, make fun of you, but when your sacrifices impact another life and glorify God, you will never think about any price that you paid. Because of your faithfulness, God will be honored and people will be made different, okay? You may look at an ordinary every you may look like an ordinary everyday person is what I want to say, and you may not feel exceptionally gifted or talented but you are the exact type of person that our God loves to use, okay? So we're going to study a person from the Old Testament over the next four weeks. Uh, He's an ordinary man named Nehemiah who had a broken heart for the plight of his people. He looked on at their situation and decided he cannot sit by and do nothing. Somebody has to do something. It might as well be him. And so in verse 18 of chapter 2 in the book of Nehemiah, Scripture says, so they begin the good work, all right? And so that's where we're getting our series from of the good work. And so they begin the good work. Would you just enjoin uh, with me uh, right now, if your heart is ready to do this, to listen, I'm going to ask that, I know this is a little different than what I normally do, but I'm just going to ask that we just pray right now. And if you have that opportunity to pull off to the side of the road, if you're on the, in the car, or if you're in a place where you can just pray right now, I'm going to ask that you, you do that with me. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would stir us to believe that we could do exceedingly and abundantly more by your power to make a difference in the lives of people. God, give us the courage and the faith to step out. Would you speak to hearts, God, to stir us, 
Use the gifts of those who love you to make a difference in the lives of other people and to glorify you, God, in all that we do. We pray this in the name of of the one who gave us the perfect work, your Son, our Savior, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. So let the good work begin. Uh, I'm calling this message uh, of this this first week. Uh, it's called it's uh, called when you can't take it anymore. When you can't take it anymore, we're going to look today at the next few weeks uh, to what to me is one of the most motivating, captivating, inspirational stories about an ordinary guy from the Old Testament that made an extraordinary difference. What I like about this guy, uh, who, who's Nehemiah, is who we're talking about, he was not a pastor, he was not a priest, he wasn't a king nor a prophet, he wasn't even a warrior, he was an ordinary person that heard about something that broke his heart, that crushed his spirit to a point where he had to do something about it. He was compelled to make a difference in the world around him. Like I said, he was an ordinary guy. And if you don't know what he did for a living, he was actually known as a cupbearer. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now you may say, what in the world is a cupbearer? Well, that's a good question. In our context today, if you think of someone who is a servant, okay, or maybe a butler, that might be the equivalent of a cupbearer. But a cupbearer was an incredibly trusted role. Because if you can imagine, this guy had tremendous access to the king. So if the king's having a private conversation... Something on the lines of, you know, I think we need to attack so-and-so. The cupbearer's going to hear that information. Or if the king says, you know what, I don't like so-and-so, uh, the way they walk, so let's chop off their head, the cupbearer's going to hear that, okay? And he's going to have to keep this information confidential. So this guy would have to have been trustworthy. He would have to have been full of integrity. And he was also incredibly loyal to the king. Because the title of his job would often reveal one of the most important things the cupbearer would do. If you can imagine, in this time in history, there were plots, just like any, in many parts of our world today, to overthrow a kingdom. And so sometimes people would attempt to take the life of the king. Well, that cupbearer would be, do, among uh, other things, the cupbearer would be the only person to taste the wine before the king would actually drink the wine, to see if the wine was poisoned or not. Now... I don't know about you, but if I'm the guy tasting the wine, I'm wanting that job with some good insurance, with some real benefits, because at any one time it goes bad, then you're kind of out of a job, right? Uh, Maybe even out of a life. So this guy was an ordinary person, not in the role of status, but in the role of a servant, attending to the needs of the king. One day, Nehemiah just has this ordinary day, kind of like you would have, maybe what's considered an ordinary day today for you. And he hears a conversation from someone that moves him to a place that he'd never been before. So here's how the story goes. We're in Nehemiah chapter 1 right at the beginning, but we're going to start with verse 2. Here's what it says. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So here we're having a conversation between Nehemiah and his brother. And he says, tell me about our people. Tell me about our homeland. And the reason Nehemiah is asking about this is because about 140 years prior to this movement, in the year 586 B.C., the Babylonians, under the rule of the evil king Nebuchadnezzar, 
okay, attacked the Jewish people and completely demolished their city, their life, their culture, in a way that's very, very difficult to describe. If you ever heard of Solomon's temple, okay, it was gone, wiped away, burned to the ground. Every building was now in rubble. Okay? The gates to the city, were formed, were, which were formed for protection, were burned as well. Almost everyone that, that, that was there now was without a job and without any kind of hope. And so the evil Babylonians then took the Jewish people captive, took them away from their homeland, and held them bond, in bondage for a long time. So if you can imagine, the Jewish people felt demoralized, right? Felt completely hopeless. They're asking, what are we going to do? We have no homeland. Our life is over. Well, forward decades later, 50,000 Jews or so moved back to Jerusalem to rebuild. We are going to rebuild the city that we love, our homeland. We're going to try to make a better future. The problem is they couldn't get anything moving, and they found themselves stalled in a complete dead end. And this is where we read on. Look at verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exiled are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. In other words, with no wall and with no gates, there's absolutely no protection from the outside forces that would surely be attacking. It was impossible to rebuild. There's already no job, no economic system, no leadership, no direction, no confidence. And with no protection, there's no plan. Therefore, there is no hope whatsoever. My question to you would be, what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you see something that breaks your heart? And you know there's a good work that needs to be done, and you think perhaps you're supposed to be a part of the good work. What do you do when you see something that bothers you deeply and you can't take it anymore? All right? That leads us to where I want to I go with this. I want to give you three thoughts about how to begin your good work. The first thing we see Nehemiah do is uh, what m- you may end up doing at some point in your life is what do you do is you actually sit down to cry. You sit down and you let whatever it is, the injustice in the world, whatever you, you're feeling, actually break your heart. And you can see this happen to Nehemiah in verse verse 4. Look, at, look what it says. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heavens. All right? It crushed him. It broke his heart. And what's so interesting to me is to think about where Nehemiah was when he heard this news. Okay, because he was about a thousand miles away from his homeland. And he was actually living a pretty good and comfortable life in, in, in this palace. Think about it, right? This guy is eating the same food the kings eat, right? He's eating, and this is this is the good food, this is the good stuff. He's watching the same shows that the king is watching on his 4K TV. This guy is probably posting selfies every now and then. He's just serving the king. Hashtag blessed to serve. You know, this guy is living a completely comfortable life. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in my comfort, I can be scrolling across some news story on my phone or, or looking across some prayer requests that come in or, 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 or you know, whatever it might be and think, oh, you know, that's, that's too bad. Sucks to be them, right? I, I, you know, I mean, man, they're a long ways away, so I don't know. I know it's not good, but what can I do about that? Because I'm living in this comfortable life. I mean, I'll say a little prayer for them, but, but I'm just not really going to let this into my, my heart. 
See, at that moment, Nehemiah had a choice. He could kind of acknowledge the plight of his people and say, oh, that's too bad. What a shame. I hate to hear that. I really feel badly for them. But, but you know, my life's going okay right now. Or he could choose to let the pain in, not just in his head, but in his heart, to the point where it bothered him, to stir him, give him a divine burden, an ache in his soul. You see, when he heard the news, he didn't do what was easy to do, you know, brush it off. Instead, he sat down, he broke down, and he started to cry. I would ask you this, what breaks your heart? What is it that burdens you? What is it that creates the righteous anger on behalf of God? You know, this isn't right, not on my watch. What is it that crushes your spirit? When you look at some injustice, perhaps to a group of people or a need in this world, why doesn't somebody do something about this? Maybe for you, it's the the plight of hurting children. Maybe it's those children who can't read or those who have very special needs that need help and love. Or maybe it's those who have been bullied or neglected or, or those who have been abused. Maybe it's for those who are bound by addiction. You know, your heart breaks. They're a hostage to drugs or they're trapped in a lustful world of pornography and you'll do anything to help them get free. Maybe it's, maybe it's homelessness. You see people that are really stuck in life and barely have their needs met, and and you want to do something about it. Maybe it's those who have been in the world of sex trafficking and abused their whole life. Maybe it's those who are impoverished and and don't have clean drinking water or or a very simply a, a mosquito net in another part of this world, you know, or some drugs that would prevent diseases. You see children and innocent people dying needless deaths because someone hasn't gotten there. Maybe you feel called to speak on behalf of the unborn. Someone needs to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. What is it that breaks your heart? What is it that burdens your soul? I want to tell you a story that, that hit me. Uh, it really shook me in a way that's, that's really kind of hard to describe. Uh, this actually happened to a pastor friend of mine, and he told me this story. My pastor friend's name was John. He went to a really small church to fill in for another pastor who was on vacation. And uh, this 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 church had two two services, um, one you know one early and one late. And and so at the first service there was this guy in there. And the only way my friend John knew how to describe this guy is was that he would just called him the mad vein guy. There was this vein on his forehead that just perpetually proclaimed, "I'm mad at the world." Okay. You know how some Christians, when they, when they read the Bible, they get all loving and full of grace, and, and others of them get angry and mad veins, right? Okay, I don't know why that happens, but John, my friend John, said this guy had a mad vein, and he was preaching. He even told a funny joke, and instead of this, this guy smiling, mad vein would just pop out. Well, after the first service, John went out to greet the people who were leaving, and also greet the people who were coming into the next service. Okay, that's kind of what they did. And at this time, the receptionist came up, and she was all excited and said, oh my gosh, we have a guest coming. Well, evidently, that didn't happen often uh, because, you know, the, how she reacted. She said, you better be good in the next service, implying that my pastor friend John wasn't good in the first one. And maybe that's why the vein was there. He wasn't sure, you know. But otherwise, she was saying, you better be good. We got a guest coming. We got a guest coming. And so John is outside greeting. 
And he happened to be partnered up with the Mad Vein Man, the Mad Vein Guy, who was chosen to be the greeter for the afternoon sir, or the next service, sorry, which might be one reason why the church was really small, just saying. And he saw the guest drive up. And the reason he knew this, this, this person was the guest was she, because who she was, is because her car didn't look like everybody else's car. When she got out, she wasn't dressed like everyone else. Everyone else had very nice formal clothes on. And she honestly looked like she had probably slept in her outfit. She looked like life had been very, very hard on her. And John couldn't be more excited to welcome her into the church. But as she was walking up, John says that the mad vain guy just kind of jumped in front of him and said to this lady, young lady, is that the best outfit you have? See, because in our church, we wear our best for God. And John said instantly, she broke down. She's so ashamed, so broken, she turned around really fast. She got in her car, and she sped off. And my friend John said he could barely preach the next service. After my friend John shared this story with me, I drove home thinking about that, that poor woman, and I myself began to kind of tear up. And I was so disturbed, so broken, so righteously angry as well, because my God of grace who welcomes all people from all races, from all parts of life, would not do something like that, right? And so on that day, I made a promise that if I ever got to lead my own church, okay, we will have a dress code. It will be very simple. It will be, please put something on, okay? Come to the house of God. This is not the God that I serve, right? Our God loves people where they are and invites them. Whoever, whoever is thirsty, come in to the presence of God. What breaks your heart? Let it in. Let it crush you. Let it move you. Sit down to cry. Okay? Listen to me. I don't worry when every now and then something breaks my heart and moves me to the point of tears. I worry when it's been a long time when that hasn't happened. I want my heart to be tender, to be broken by things that break the heart of God. What do you do when you can't take it anymore? You sit down and cry. The second thing you do, if, if you're taking notes, is you kneel down to pray. You kneel down to pray. Nehemiah says this, For some days I mourned and I fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. Listen to me, folks. If it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. Sometimes we just say the most insulting things to our God, like, you know what? All we can do is pray now. Can you imagine God sitting in heaven going, oh, really? All you can do is pray now? I mean, it's down to me? All you got is me, the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God, me, the all things are possible with me, God, and all you can do is pray? See, God plus one is always a majority. We go before the God of heaven. We invoke his power in prayer. Nehemiah shows us as he cries out to God. Look at verses five and six. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. 
If you watch Nehemiah's prayer and you were to read on from those verses, okay, he confesses his own sin. He confesses the sin of his people. He reminds God of God's promises and God's faithfulness. And after he's mourned, fasted, and prayed, he goes before the king and he asks permission. He says, you know, I honor you. My heart will always be with you, but would you grant me permission to leave where I am to go back to my people and try to rebuild? So let's pick it back up in verse 11. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. You watch him pray over and over and over and over again. And what I hope you'll understand is that what what you pray about, what you pray about, really reflects what you believe about God. Okay, let me say that again. What you pray about really reflects what you believe about God. If our only prayers are bless this food and keep me safe and give me a good day, you really don't believe the real powerful God. But when you ask God to stretch you, to use you, when you pray for the impossible, you say, God, move, do miracles, bring healing. God, spark revival. Use me to meet someone's needs. You believe in the power and the glory of a good God. What's so interesting to me about Nehemiah is this is actually the first of 12 prayers that we see him see he prayed in the book of Nehemiah. There's 12 that we know about. That means he would have prayed hundreds, maybe thousands. And this is the first of the 12. We see it at the beginning of his story. We see it all through the middle. And the last thing he's doing is praying as he goes before God. What I love about him is you're going to see in the upcoming weeks he is a a leadership genius. He is practical in every way. He studies. He strategizes. He casts vision. He delegates. He is a leadership genius, and yet everything he does is filled with intimate, faith-filled prayer before his good God. How do you begin the good work when you can't take it anymore? You, You let it into your heart, and you sit down, and you cry. Then at some point you kneel down and you pray. And then once your heart's been broken and you've sought the goodness of God, number three, you stand up and act. What do you do? You sit down to cry, you kneel down to pray, and you stand up to act. Nehemiah takes the cup and he goes to visit the king. His heart is heavy and the king can tell this. So look what happens in chapter 2 and what the king says to him. It's in verses 4 and 5. The king said to Nehemiah, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. My people are hurting. The walls are down. The city is exposed, and I can't sit around and do nothing. Somebody has got to do something about this, and it might as well be me. Stand up and act. Somebody needs to do something, and it's going to be us, church. I don't know who this is going to talk to right now, but there's somebody out there that you know that something bothers you. Maybe you've tried to keep it at a distance, but now you're going to let it in. You're going to feel the pain. You're going to let it wreck you. You're going to let the burden overwhelm you, and you're going to sit down to ache and cry about it. And then you're going to go into your prayer place and kneel down and invoke the power of the God of heaven. And then at some point, God's going to promise you, and you're going to have the faith to stand up and act. Well, but who am I? 
I'm not the pastor. I'm not trained. I don't have a lot of experience. Listen to me. Hear it and feel it. You don't have to be appointed by man if you are called by God. Let me say it again. You don't have to be appointed by man if you are called by God. You don't have to be chosen by people if God prompts your heart, stirs your spirit, gives you a burden. You just step into it, trust him, and watch him act. Feel the presence of God stirring in you. It breaks your heart. Why does it break your heart? Because perhaps you, just like Nehemiah, an ordinary guy in every other extent, was chosen by God to step into the burden and start the good work. He didn't finish it alone, and he didn't do it alone. But it didn't happen until he started it. So what do you do when you can't take it anymore? You sit down and cry, you kneel down and you pray, and then you stand up and act. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for another Venture Podcast. I'm looking forward to spending the next three weeks with you guys on this new series of The Good Work, and I hope you guys will come back and be a part of it as well. And I hope you'll just continue on and be a part of this venture of doing life together to understand that God's purpose is for us and the reason why we exist, and that is to to preach and teach other people about Jesus Christ. We'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast or Chandler Acres Church, or if you'd like to support this ministry, please visit us at chandleracreschurch.com.